Imagine you are waiting in line at the airport baggage claim. Suitcases are cycling around the conveyor belt. During each cycle, many suitcases are added by newly arriving planes, and many are removed by their recipients. Now, imagine that half of the plane doors are blocked off, preventing baggage transit to the conveyor belt. Fewer and fewer bags can make it into the baggage claim, and the line of waiting travelers becomes longer and longer. All transit out of the airport is slowed, and almost no one can return home. Just like the constant shipment of luggage to the baggage claim is necessary for travelers to leave the airport, the influx of sodium into cardiomyocytes is necessary to initiate depolarization. When a patient overdoses on a medication which causes sodium channel blockade, such as a tricyclic antidepressant, sodium influx reduces substantially, leading to a delayed phase zero of depolarization. As a result, conduction slows and the QRS interval widens, rendering the heart vulnerable to bradyarrhythmias, heart block, and ventricular arrhythmias. Today, our patient has a TCA overdose, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Toxic Channel Activity, an Approach to TCA Overdose. Let's start with some history. Tricyclic antidepressants, or TCAs, were one of the first ever antidepressants, along with monoamine oxidase inhibitors. They were initially discovered in an attempt to create a more potent antipsychotic. The first TCA, imipramine, was derived from the antipsychotic promethazine for this purpose. While imipramine was ineffective in relieving psychotic symptoms in patients with schizophrenia, it was incidentally noticed to be very effective in alleviating depression. Imipramine was approved as an antidepressant in 1959 by the US FDA, and thus, the TCA class was born. As the mechanism of action was not known at the time of discovery, TCAs were instead classified by their unique chemical structure the presence of a three-ringed structural core. The properties of TCAs were later shown to be very broad, ranging from the inhibition of presynaptic norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake to the blockade of postsynaptic alpha-adrenergic, muscarinic, and histaminergic receptors. At high doses, TCAs also act as sodium and calcium channel blockers. The inhibition of norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake are likely the most important mechanism of action contributing to the antidepressant effect itself, whereas the latter three effects likely contribute to the most important side effects. Depending on the specific agent and structure, different TCAs have varying distributions of potency of each individual mechanism. TCAs are rapidly absorbed, lipophilic molecules that have a high volume of distribution in the plasma circulation. They are almost entirely bound to albumin. TCAs undergo first-pass metabolism in the liver and are ultimately inactivated by the CYP2D6 system and excreted in the urine. The elimination half-life is very dependent on the specific agent, but generally ranges between 12 to 36 hours. However, in overdose, TCAs may undergo zero-order kinetics for elimination, meaning that a fixed amount of drug is eliminated over a given time. In these cases, the drug's half-life may not apply. So, how much TCA is necessary to cause an overdose? TCAs have a notoriously narrow therapeutic window. 
Usually, a dose of at least 5 mg per kilogram is required to develop any symptoms of toxicity, and a dose of 10 to 20 mg per kilogram is typically required for the development of severe complications. For context, typical therapeutic dosing is as high as 2 to 4 mg per kilogram per day, so the ingestion of a few as 5 tablets could lead to life-threatening overdose. Now, let's develop our diagnostic approach to TCA overdose. First, we can connect what we just learned about the pharmacology of TCAs to the physiology of overdose. Let's start by breaking the toxicities down by mechanism. One of the most important mediators of toxicity in overdose is the sodium channel blockade. In cardiomyocytes, fast sodium channel blockade leads to delayed depolarization, slowed conduction velocity, and prolonged refractory periods. These effects contribute to QRS, QT, and PR prolongation and promote the development of either bradyarrhythmias and heart block or ventricular arrhythmias. Additionally, severe overdoses may also present with depressed cardiac contractility, leading to hypotension and cardiogenic shock. Additionally, the inhibition of muscarinic, adrenergic, and histamine receptors by TCAs lead to a broad spectrum of symptoms in overdose, most profoundly characterized by an anticholinergic toxidrome. The diverse spectrum of anticholinergic effects are often summed up in a common mnemonic, MAD as a hatter, meaning altered mental status, ranging from delirium to coma, blind as a bat, meaning mydriasis, hot as a hare, meaning hyperthermia, red as a beet, meaning skin flushing, often as a response to increased temperature and impaired heat dissipation, and dry as a bone, meaning dry mucous membranes and skin. Another important clinical feature of the anticholinergic toxidrome is slowed gastrointestinal emptying, which can in turn prolong TCA absorption and delay elimination. Sinus tachycardia is another very common feature, which is contributed to both by the anticholinergic effects and the inhibition of norepinephrine reuptake. Moreover, the inhibitory effect of TCAs on alpha-adrenergic receptors can lead to decreased systemic vascular resistance and subsequent hypotension which can potentiate sinus tachycardia as a reflex mechanism. Additionally, both the antihistaminergic effects and the excessive serotonin reuptake can lead to altered mental status, ranging from drowsiness to hallucinations. Lastly, one of the most severe complications of TCA overdose is seizure, which occurs in around 6% of patients. The mechanism is likely multifactorial, with contributions from sodium channel blockade as well as excess inhibition of norepinephrine and serotonin uptake and GABA antagonism. Seizures may in turn exacerbate hypotension, potentially because of the subsequent acidosis, which may increase the binding of TCA to sodium channels. As a quick memory aid, you can remember the key features of TCA overdose using the three C's mnemonic, cardiac, CNS, and anticholinergic toxicity. Your workup should be focused on identifying and predicting the downstream consequences of the overdose. To begin with, your lab workup should include a basic metabolic panel and glucose to assess for contributing metabolic disturbances, an arterial or venous blood gas to identify acidosis, and a serum toxicology screen as necessary if you suspect co-ingestions such as acetaminophen or aspirin. 
Serum TCA levels are not sensitive or predictive of the severity of overdose, nor are they commonly available, so they are not recommended. An early ECG is mandatory to assess for signs of QRS, QTC, or PR prolongation, as well as any associated ventricular or bradyarrhythmias. Any suspicious features or signs of severe clinical symptomatology should prompt constant telemetry monitoring. Remember that the ECG changes in TCA overdose can be very dynamic, so ensure your patient is undergoing frequent assessment. The risk of seizures or ventricular arrhythmias can be predicted by the QRS duration. Seizures typically occur with a QRS of over 100 milliseconds, and the risk of arrhythmias typically begin at a QRS of over 160 milliseconds. Although there is variation between patients, and arrhythmias can certainly begin before this mark. A QRS of less than 100 milliseconds is generally reassuring. Other subtle ECG signs include an abnormally deep, slurred S-waves in lead 1 and AVL, as well as a prominent R-wave in AVR, specifically greater than 3 millimeters, or an RS ratio of over 0.7. Finally, while it is possible to test for the presence of TCAs on urine toxicology, Many other drugs and medications may result in a false positive TCA screening. Therefore, this test has little diagnostic value. TCAs have a high rate of morbidity and mortality, causing death in 0.73% of overdoses on average. Additionally, decompensation can occur very rapidly, with some patients developing hemodynamic collapse and requiring intubation within 15 to 20 minutes of a stable clinical assessment. It is therefore especially important to identify potentially life-threatening consequences up front and institute appropriate management. To begin with, make sure you are in contact with your local poison control as soon as you suspect an overdose. They will be able to provide guidance over the phone, including management advice for your specific situation. As you begin your assessment, make sure your patient is in a monitored setting with IV access and supplemental oxygen. The first principles of managing a patient with TCA overdose come back to the basics, the ABCs. With regards to airway and breathing, patients may present with a severe coma or respiratory depression requiring intubation for airway protection. When it comes to circulation, the most common complications are arrhythmias and hypotension. In order to prevent or treat ventricular arrhythmias, sodium bicarbonate is used. Sodium bicarbonate prevents cardiotoxicity via two main mechanisms. The first is via alkalinization of the serum, which favors the formation of the neutral or inactive form of the drug. Second, the high sodium load suppresses sodium channel blockade by increasing the electrochemical gradient across cardiomyocytes. If your patient has a QRS of over 100 milliseconds or any ventricular dysrhythmia, begin with the basics. Identify and treat any contributing factors to these abnormalities, such as concomitant electrolyte deficiencies, for example, hypokalemia or magnesemia. Specific to TCA overdose, you should begin sodium bicarbonate empirically. This is often achieved with an initial rapid IV push of a 1 to 2 milliequivalents per kilogram sodium bicarbonate bolus, or 2 to 3 amps in the average adult, which is repeated to a maximum arterial pH of 7.55 then followed by a continuous infusion or repeated boluses. 
Patients who have arrhythmias that are refractory to sodium bicarbonate can be escalated to lidocaine, lipid emulsion therapy, or ECMO. Hypotension should be treated with aggressive crystalloid resuscitation. If refractory to fluids, vasopressors should be initiated. Given the prominent alpha-adrenergic blockade and overdose, the use of pressors with alpha-agonist effects such as norepinephrine or phenylephrine is preferred. Patients who are refractory to fluid and pressor therapy can be considered for hypertonic saline therapy, which is postulated to attenuate sodium channel blockade similarly to sodium bicarbonate. Patients with impending cardiac arrest or with hypotension refractory to all above therapies can also be considered for lipid emulsion therapy. This decision is almost always made in consultation with a toxicologist. Lastly, any of the ABCs can be compromised by the presence of seizures. TCA-induced seizures are primarily treated with benzodiazepines as opposed to traditional antiepileptics, given the presumed GABA-mediated mechanism. Where benzodiazepines are ineffective, second-line therapies may include barbiturates and propofol. In this scenario, avoid phenytoin. Make sure to involve the ICU team if you are concerned about any of the above complications. Once you've secured the ABCs, it's time to move on to your other overdose priorities. If you have caught your patient within 4 hours of ingestion, although ideally sooner, it is reasonable to give 1 gram per kilogram of activated charcoal up to a maximum of 50 grams. Be cautious in patients with CNS complications because of the risk of aspiration. However, sedated patients may still receive charcoal through an NG tube, especially in the case of massive overdoses with a high probability of life-threatening complications. Generally speaking, the safest time to use this method would be in a patient whose airway is already secured via intubation. Gastric lavage may also potentially be performed in massive ingestions early in the presentation. However, this procedure is controversial and only very rarely used. Lavage should only be considered in consultation with a medical toxicologist or poison center, provided the patient's airway is already secured and that the treating clinician is comfortable with the procedure. Otherwise, any non-life-threatening symptoms of the anticholinergic toxidrome should be treated symptomatically. Agitation can be managed with low-dose benzodiazepines. Continue to monitor your patients for any signs of electrolyte disturbance, acidosis, or volume depletion and treat accordingly. Generally, if any major complications such as seizures or severe cardiotoxicity are to occur, they do within the first six hours of ingestion. To be safe, make sure you maintain telemetry for patients with cardiotoxicity at least 12 to 24 hours after the normalization of their ECG. Now for a journal article of this episode. Given that TCA overdose is characterized by an anticholinergic toxidrome, you might wonder about the use of cholinesterase inhibitors, such as physostigmine, to address these symptoms. Physostigmine has a long and interesting history in the treatment of TCA overdose. In the 1970s, physostigmine was recommended for the treatment of anticholinergic symptoms and seizures in TCA overdose. However, in 1980, a well-publicized case series in Annals of Emergency Medicine reported two patients in Minnesota who developed asystole and cardiac arrest immediately after administration. A similar report had also been published in 1976. Casualty was not established, as these patients had a very severe overdose with other potential explanations for their arrests. However, the use of cholinesterase inhibitors declined substantially after these reports were published. In fact, many clinicians came to view TCA overdose as an absolute contraindication for their use. 
More recent analyses of the use of physostigmine in delirium, but not seizures, in the context of TCA overdose have demonstrated reasonable safety. A 2018 retrospective review reported three cases of diaphoresis as the only adverse events of physostigmine out of 315 TCA overdose patients. Given this more recent evidence and the fact that physostigmine is a useful benzodiazepine-sparing agent in agitated delirium, it can certainly be considered for patients, provided that there is no evidence of QRS widening. However, the use of physostigmine is still controversial, so make sure you consult with your local toxicologist and or poison control if you are considering using it for TCA-related delirium. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Toxic Channel Activity, an Approach to TCA Overdose. This episode was written by Dr. Leah Kova-Kovaski, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Pete Wu, internal medicine and clinical pharmacology, toxicology, and Dr. David Jurlink, internal medicine and clinical pharmacology, toxicology. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and co-developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This episode was recorded by Zara Morali and produced by Nafis Hussain. Music production by Laxman Savantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also check out theinternetwork.com for an associated infographic. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.